0: The first question at the top of my head, right, just for, you know, others who are not conversant with who you are is, who is Tommy, right? So how would you describe yourself to the Mm, whole
1: point? Good, good question. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'd say, I'd start out by saying I am, I'm a person of many interests. Awesome. Uh, I, I have, I'm a lover of life, like, I, you know, I like art, I like history, I like politics, I like sciences, um, and of course, uh, the thing that brings us here, I love technology. Uh, so I'd say, like, I'm I'm a creative, part part geek, part creative, uh, part interested in a little bit of nation building, you know, so you always catch me talking, you know, tech, talking politics, talking sports, talking art. Uh, I have, you know, many, many different interests.
0: Awesome. Awesome. That's really great to know. Yeah. I I just remembered how we ran into each other at the, was that that not this week in FinTech, the FinTech Happy Hour event for the first time? It
1: was FinTech Happy Hour. Yes.
0: Actually. Yeah. Yeah. Great meeting you once again. So can you tell me about, I I know you've built a series of startups in the past. One of particular interest is TQG. I know you had a startup called TQG. I would like to know more about the startup. Um, I, I think you exceeded at some point, right, and pivoted into fintech, you know, but I'm more interested in TQG, your experience, how it was building, you know, some of the challenges you faced. Those are some of the things I would like us to get into just to extract right. lessons from your experience, right? So right. but let's start with what TQG was all about. What were you guys trying to do at TQG?
1: Right, so TQG was like the name of the company. Okay. Uh, the product that we were known for was TQ Trivia. Uh-huh. Uh, and TQ Trivia was a social game that uh, was targeted at, you know, Gen Z and millennials. Um, it allowed, so just think of like, who wants to be a millionaire? Like almost like a who wants to be a millionaire experience, uh, but multiplayer um, and, you know, with a very limited amount of time, 15 minutes. So every night, we'd have young people all around Nigeria logging on to uh, the game. Um, they'd answer a bunch of questions within a 15-minute period. And whoever came out with the highest score for the night would win a cash prize. Um, Just night? That nine? was essentially it. Yes, it was a scheduled live event. Uh-huh. It started every single at 9 p.m. and ended at 9.15 15.
0: Awesome, awesome. Um, why did you guys choose to do it at night though?
1: At night, um, so you know, we we kind of like bit you know, we did like some testing around this. Uh, so you know, we actually started out as a game that people could access at any point in the day. Um, but we noticed that one. Uh, There was a massive content problem where you made it like 24-7. So you would need, you know, literally like hundreds of thousands of questions for the game to kind of like work on a 24-hour basis. So kind of like as we thought through that problem of like, okay, how do we, um, you know, how do we want increase the sense of urgency and fun that people have, but also how do we deal with this content problem? Uh, you know, one of the things that came to our mind was like, okay, let us condense the amount of time people have to play. Uh, And so we went from 24 hours, then we tested, uh, you know, 12 hours, Mm. then we tested five hours, then one hour. We thought it was going to be an hour. Uh, But what we noticed when we moved it to one hour a day was that people would play for about 15 minutes uh-huh. and then wait till the end of the game to see who won. They wouldn't play for the whole one hour. Um, and then at that point, we made it a 15-minute game. Um, mm. And it worked, you know. So people would come in, they'd play. Even at 15 minutes, people would still play for maybe like seven, eight minutes um, and then wait to see who won. Some people would come into the game maybe a little later. Maybe they don't come in at nine. They come in at 9.05, 9.06, six. Uh, they'd play for like seven or eight minutes. And then at the end of the game, we'd see who had the highest score um, and the person would win a cash prize.
0: Sounds interesting. Well, I'm also curious to know what specific problem would you say Tiki Trivia was solving at the time?
1: That's a, that's a fantastic question. You know, I so the way we looked at it was, you know, if you look at tech in africa you know there are a lot of people solving payments you know infrastructure problems Mm -hmm. um once that layer is built you need things on top of the fintech that you're going to, to build um so we started looking at like okay we're looking at the demographics of nigeria we're looking at the demographics of africa um, this is a very young continent. I think the average age in Nigeria is somewhere around, <laughs> somewhere around 18, 19 years old. Uh, so you're talking about like, a lot of very young people who have access to smartphones. So the question is, like, what are they doing on their devices? You know, um, And when you look at the spectrum of, of activities, you would find that out that things around social and gaming are very high. Um, So even if you look at kind of like top apps in Nigeria, top 50 apps in Nigeria, top 50 paid apps, for the top 50 uh, apps in Nigeria when it comes to revenue, you would find that mobile games are like, it's probably like half of that list is in the mobile game space. So we know that a lot of young people are playing, they're on their phones playing games. Uh, the question for us now, and as also, like, you know, I came from a background where I grew up playing games. Um, you know, I grew up wanting to be a game dev, so I've been very interested in the gaming space. Uh, I grew up on A games, uh, but obviously with mobile and the way games had evolved, games were becoming more of, like, social, casual games. Um, so we just kind of, like, you know, uh, had sessions where we'd go through, what we thought could work in the market. Um, Obviously we had seen trends around like real money gaming, um, you know, with sports betting and stuff like that. So we knew like money as an incentive would be something interesting for young people, but we wanted to build it around something we believed would be educational. You know, so at TQ, we always said that we wanted to like entertain, educate and empower young Africans uh, through a fun you know fun mobile gaming experience um and so like even in the way like we built the content structure uh a lot of the questions had a mix of you know uh you know things around nigerian history african history um you know we double into sports we double into pop culture it was really a drive to empower people with knowledge that, you know, they should know, but for some reason, don't yeah. know.
0: Yeah. I'm curious though, did you did you ever monetize? And if you did, how? How did you monetize?
1: Yeah. So we monetize from day one. Uh, we monetize from day one. And and going back to mobile games, uh, you know, mobile games monetize through power-ups, virtual goods, um, you know, and just, you know, an ecosystem of virtual products. So the first virtual product we had that we sold was extra lives. So if you were playing the game and you answered one question, two questions, three questions, four questions, and you missed a question, your score would be five. You know, um, but if you had a power up or an extra life, you would be able to continue um and so people used to buy power-ups to kind of like increase
0: this okay you know okay um
1: so that was kind of like our first monetization or revenue model um then we also had some brand activations that you know we we kind of partnered with brands to do some interesting trivia games for uh our user base as well awesome Uh, as far as monetization uh, virtual goods, number one, but also brand activations uh, later on in, during the life of of the app.
0: I'm tempted to ask, you know, because I'm sure building something new has challenges, right? And I'm sure you faced a, a whole lot of challenges. But before we dive right into the challenges you faced, um, one question at the top of my mind right now is to I would just like to find out, right, um, where is TQ today, you know? Did you guys get acquired? Did it shut down? You know, did you post the project, you know? So where is it right now?
1: Right. So uh, TQ had a two-year run. Uh, we were acquired by um, a, comp- a media company called Nemja. Um, you know, and we had reached the point where the game had plateaued, um, and we were trying to figure out, like, okay, what's the best what's the best way to move forward with it um, I think at that point uh, the different founders had different directions in which like we wanted to go um, and so we had conversations with several companies on you know just you know the different assets we had at that point and what would be useful for uh, different you know for like different companies um, and you know the reason why we worked with, Nemzia on the position was, Nemzia does a lot of work in marketing, brand activations, um, and you know, that kind of stuff. Okay, okay. Trivia is a very interesting way for brands to kind of like teach people about, you know, their, their company, the history of the company, uh, interesting facts about the company and stuff like that. Uh, so on one hand, we had like a database of questions that, uh, could be used but at the same time just even in terms of like the core technology that was built um it could be used by companies to work with brands uh to engage their 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 users or their customers
0: wow great great so did you cash out did you guys cash out No, I'm just
1: I, I, I'd say it was a, it was a moderate it was a moderate exit. It wasn't anything. Let's put it as I'm not I'm not quite retired. <laughs> uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. oh you're retired, but you're not tired.
1: <laughs> know, a little a little retired right now. I'm just I'm just playing. <laughs>
0: yeah, awesome, 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 So what were so challenges are going to come in different phases, right? Um, the challenges while building the product and then the challenges while running the company, right? Because I know these are two very different things, right? But I would like to start off with the challenges you faced while building this particular product. Yeah, right.
1: So, you know, like they say, problems no they finish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when, nice, when you're running nice. a product, all, <laughs> all sorts of problems. Um I mean, I can think of like engineering. Can I relate? So, this. We, we, we had a game that started at 9 p.m. and ended at 9.15. And we literally had um, tens of thousands of people playing at the same time every night. So you're talking about like just kind of like the, the, the load on servers like at that point um, and trying to make sure like the game works for everybody at that point. Um, so there were a lot of like difficult engineering challenges we had to, to work with. Um, I think on the content side as well, um, you know, just keeping up with the content demand over the years was like a, a significant problem we dealt with. Um, an interesting problem we dealt with in content is you have people who, you know, by way of their exposure or their education, just have like a higher amount of knowledge than the average person. Uh, what happens when you have these experts and they're winning every night? You know, uh, if you have someone who's winning the game every single night, then other people never feel like they have a, a chance. chance to yeah, win. looks fixed. <laughs> And they kind of fall off. And then we have this a segment of experts. So you're talking about now like building algorithms to like cater to expert expertise levels. You know, so we could look at someone's um, you know, someone's performance over time and say, like, okay, based on your ability to answer these questions, we believe like you are you're an expert on this level, and based on your expertise, we'll serve you like questions to match your expertise and then this person might be a weaker person uh we don't want you to drop off because you feel discouraged so we kind of like customize like the questions that you are that you see when you join the game uh so that was an experience but, but then when you do that you now have like issues of how fair is it to the experts you know and that kind of stuff so that was like an ongoing challenge we had throughout the life of wow. TQ. Um, challenges around kind of like finding great writers, you know, who could think of like creative, because you don't you don't want the same set of like boring questions every year. So you want to be able to ask questions in new creative ways. You want to be able to uh, dive into categories that, that are you know new and interesting, uh, so the work on that side was like also also immense. Um, growth is always um, is always a challenge for especially consumer uh, products, um, and on that side we, you know we we worked with um, you know I always say like we're we're one of the pioneers of like influencer uh, marketing in uh-huh. Nigeria. Uh, you know, we, we partnered with Faust the Bad Guy uh, to launch the product. And he was kind of like a minor investor, um, you know, in the, in, in the company as well. Wow. Uh, so him being on board kind of gave us our first boost. Um, and then after that, we had some engagements with, with him as well. Um, so multiple challenges as any startup would be faced with. Um, but I, I think just on a high level, those are some of the challenges that we we dealt with.
0: Yeah, great, great. So, um, what are the challenges you faced while building company in general? Right, mm. having to work with your co-founders, working with a team, working with your investors. You know, right. what are some of those very difficult moments? You know, that you almost quit, and then you right. have to like literally reinforce. Yourself over and over again, yeah.
1: So I, I think the challenges change per company and per your le- your level of experience. So I'd say like when you start out as a founder, a lot of the challenges you're going to face might come from, you know, a limited network or a small network. So you don't know enough investors, you don't know enough engineers, you don't know enough um, growth people, you don't know the right people. You don't have the right people in your network that if you need a certain resource, you can reach out to and say, "Hey, I need this," and they're able to point you to that resource. Um, so things around like, okay, how do I find good engineers? You know, my first set of engineers need to be A players, or else this doesn't work. How do I find those guys? Okay, when you do find those guys, guess what? I might not have raised a million dollars. How do I pay you? to make sure like you're engaged and you're not poached by someone else, you know. Um, Obviously you have building challenges. Growth is always, is always a problem. (laughs) It's always, I feel it's the number one problem uh, you face once you take VC money. Uh, Because at that point, everything needs to point back to your company growing. you know, I would say like also challenges have evolved. And you have
0: milestones. You have milestones. You
1: you have milestones. You have to hit. You have you to promise. hit. You and promise. You <laughs> promise. You promise. You promised. And and a lot of times, I think you know, you you mentioned challenges with VCs. I think VCs are an important part of startups, but a lot of times, VCs, if you're not careful, VCs can get you off your train. So you're going in this direction the VC also has milestones that he needs to hit in order to be able to raise his next fund. And so, you know, a lot of times you might have your vision, that vision might get discarded because there's pressure on you to hit certain milestones by the VC you're working with. So how do you how do you manage those tensions? Um, you know, so like I said, different challenges per country but also like as you gain experience the challenges uh kind of like evolve maybe raising your first round isn't as hard as before Mm. you know but now hitting the mouse is now the challenge
0: so So i was going to ask for what your defining moments were for you right Mm. those like hardcore moments where you had to literally make a choice like do i want to do this or should i keep going And of course, I'm guessing you kept going for you to have gotten acquired, right? So I'm also curious to know, what was that thing that kept you going regardless of all the challenges, you know, that you faced at that time? Um, You
1: know, so I don't know if there's one defining moment. I think there are a lot of different moments that, uh, you know, different moments, different key moments on anyone's journey. I think one of the things that has kept me in the game, like with TQ, for example, um, you know, I was building TQ with people I actually loved, (laughs) you know, Uh, so Mm. I started TQ with- co-founders, right? My co-founders, yes. Um, One of my childhood friends, uh, Bash, um, and Emmanuel, who I had met earlier in, like, we started working together in my first startup, but who, like, we became, like, almost like brothers. Um, and so when you actually enjoy working with people and those people are actually like your people, um, it helps you get through whatever tough time you're in. Uh, being a solo founder is brutal, is, is really brutal. If you have like a good network of people around you, it makes those, um, it makes those times easier.
0: Sweet. So if you had a chance to build a startup again, or, oh, okay, maybe I'm going a step ahead of myself. Do you intend to do the start of the game? Are you going to do always, always cooking. Always cooking. Always <laughs> in the lab. Once always soldier, in the lab. Always a soldier, right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, for for the last year, for the last 15 months, 12 to 15 months, uh was working in fintech. Um, but, you know, the whole time as well, I... I I've always, so I'm, I'm very creative and I have an ability to connect dots. So I always have ideas floating around my, my mind. I think, you know, with TQ, there were some trends I had observed, like just in terms of the way social gaming was evolving, uh, some user behavior in Nigeria, uh, my interest in sports, and I needed a little bit of time for all of that to come together. But by the time I realized, like, okay, this, this is the problem. And I have I, I have a way of solving it. I have a solution in my mind. Um, you know, I, my my creative side started kicking in and you know, I started thinking of of, of building something new. So uh, currently I'm working on something in the intersect between the intersection. Of social gaming and sports um and just based on my experience you you really like social products and i i'm i'm so like i always say like i grew up wanting to be a game dev uh that that was my first love Uh, so i'm always very interested in the social gaming space but even just if you look at what people are doing with their phones it is such a big part of the mobile experience you know, um, and, you know, they're just really interesting statistics around social gaming. So if you look at revenue drivers in like the app stores, you'd see like gaming is near the top of the list, Uh, you know. So just between my interest in social gaming, uh, my experience in social gaming and my love for sports, um, I'm building something in that space that I I think is going to be very interesting. Uh, We're still a little bit, a little bit in stealthish mood uh i do share what i'm working on uh but we're we're behind the scenes cooking right now
0: yeah awesome i can't wait to see <laughs> nice 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 so um do you okay before i ask the question right i was going to ask something else but i think they should come first do you think the way we're doing or building startups in africa nigeria precisely is the right way to go having been an exited founder You've been in the space for a pretty long time. I'm sure you've seen things that are happening. Are we having as many startups scale as fast as they should, right? And if they're not, if you think they're not doing it the right way, what do you think they're probably doing wrong? And how can we correct what's currently going on, right? So first question, do you think startup founders are going about building the right way? And if they're not, what do you think? should be done differently?
1: Right, right. So I, I think that's an interesting question. And and I would say, like, there is no one right way to build a company. Um, there are different kinds of companies. You have B2C companies, you have B2B companies, you have bootstrap companies, you have companies that are raising, you know, uh, maybe donor money, you have people that are raising VC money. And for each of those different models, uh, you need to understand what the game is. Essentially, Um, I think, you know, and then also I'm someone who's seen like different phases of like the Nigerian like tech ecosystem. Uh, So I'd say like between 2014 and 2016, 17, uh, you know, maybe raising money wasn't as easy over the last three, four years. We've seen like significant uh, growth in the amount of money being raised. I think the challenge with that is, you know, we a lot of startups are raising money on Silicon Valley terms, uh, but you know, like I say, we don't have Silicon Valley customers and we don't have Silicon Valley ARPO. So what do you, you mean know, by
0: Silicon Valley customers?
1: So I'm talking about people with disposable income. I'm talking okay. about global users. Oh, uh,
0: ho- okay. You, okay.
1: You look at average average revenue per user, Africa is like near the bottom of the list. Um, so now we have a lot of people building in fintech um, and we've had like some major successes like the Pistats, the Flutterways, the Team Apps, Chipper Cash, um, you know, but I, sometimes I worry about the sustainability of, of it. Um, I think the more money you raise, the, the, the much higher the expectations are. Um, and if, you know, like, so for me, I, I think we might run in a situation in two, three years where a lot of startups have raised a ton of money, but they're not able to generate the revenues to justify the valuations that they have. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, what ends up happening is you end up have, having like either like devaluations, like it becomes messy, essentially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but so for me personally, I think the way out of that is building global companies. So building companies that are incubated in Nigeria and Africa. So you start out in Nigeria, you might expand to a couple of African countries, but you should have a clear path to going global, um, because that is when you know you are able to get customers and revenue that match the valuations um, of the terms you're raising on. Um, and you know, I I, I think I've, we've already started seeing signs of that. Um, I think, to be quite honest, the the other side of that is, you know, so build a company that's very competitive in the tech space, your engineering team needs to be like really good. You know, to build a pay stack, flutter wave, you need really good engineers. To build a product that works, you need good engineers. Uh, But the cost of engineers is really skyrocketing right now because engineers have more options than ever before. So the question now is like, How do you afford to keep your A players? If you're earning, if, you know, like a lot of startups are raising money, but they're barely profitable. Mm -hmm. So that your star engineer, who's, you know, maybe your head of engineering, like, how do you keep him? How do you keep your engineering managers? How do you keep your senior product managers? You know, I feel we need to embrace being more competitive and saying like, hey, you know what? What is stopping me for, from starting something in Nigeria, opening up an office wherever, in Europe, the UK, the US, hiring people there to work for my company and, you know, working on sales of whatever of, of whatever product or marketing or growth of whatever product I'm building. Um, and the, the model that I think, you know, I, I will say this, like Nigerian startups are modeling after Silicon Valley. Uh, And in reality, we should be modeling our startups after the Israeli startup model. Uh, And in Israel, what you find is a lot of startups focus on, one, solving big problems uh, that the global tech powerhouses find interesting. So if Facebook comes out today and says, hey, you know what? Artificial intelligence is something that we find valuable. Uh, Israeli startups start innovating in that space. Um, they typically focus on, on b2b products, uh, SaaS products. They start those startups in Israel and within 12 to 18 months, once they found product market fit, they'll open a sales office in the US or Europe. They'll hire a bunch of sales guys to like sell the product, they'll get feedback, they'll do a little bit of tweaking for like the local market. Um, but they're very focused on building for the globe. And the reason why they do that is because Israel is a country of 5 million people. Mm,
0: mm-hmm.
1: So for them, they have no illusions of like, hey, we're this big market with I a see, billion I users. See, I see. That, from day one, they're like, if we want to get a billion users, we got to go out of Israel. Um, now, in Nigeria, we have 200 million people. But I always say, like, people is not market. Yeah. <laughs> like, because you have 200 million people, that what's, have, what's the have quality? people.
0: What's the quality of the
1: people? What's the quality yeah. of that? You know, if you go beyond Nigeria to the rest of Africa, you actually find that Nigeria is a much more robust market than most of the countries you'd find in Africa. So I think when we think about, like, the addressable market in Africa, I think that number, to be quite honest, it's probably closer to like 20, 30 million people than a billion people. Um, but it's it's robust enough to pilot a product yeah. and get product market fit. So how, so
0: how do you balance out the question of having a very peculiar problem you're trying to solve? Globally, mm. Right? Versus exporting your solution globally, right? Because from the very beginning, while you're setting out to build or solve that problem, you are building it in the local context, right? Because okay. there's, a, there's right. a specific need and right. it might not necessarily translate. translate to, to yeah. Yes, exactly. Oh, so in those yeah. kind of scenarios, how, how do you think that should work yeah. out?
1: So I, I think on, on a foundational level, I think founders should be looking for problems that can scale globally. Oh, so that's the first yeah. place to start. At least before
0: raising VC funds, right? Before raising how VC funds.
1: I think if you don't see a path to scaling globally, then your 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 model should be different. Mm. So maybe you go for you know maybe you go for donor money, or maybe you like um, grant. Have like an, maybe yeah. you have like a grant, or maybe you do like an agency and stuff like that. So you're taking in limited amount of money, which you'd be able to kind of like pay back some returns on. If you want to go for the mega twenty million dollar round, thirty million dollar round, and up. You better have a clear path to like going global.
0: Awesome, 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 awesome. So this brings me back to the initial question I was going to ask, and it's, it's somewhat related, but it's concerning the new startup that you're going to build, right? So now that you've mentioned, you know, you said something about the Israeli model. Is, right. is that what you are? Is that what you're mirroring after? Are you going to be building locally, but with a global market in mind? Is, right. it, Is that the route you'll be taking?
1: Right. So the product that I'm working on um, is something that is global from day one. Ah, okay. So already we have users on the continent. Um, But at the same time, like Nigeria is, you know, our pilot market. It is the market in which we're going to do a lot of the experimenting and you know go on that journey to finding product market fit. Um, but already we have you know users in the uk we have users in the us as well
0: wow great great so i, I think this this is bringing me to the very end of my questions right so i don't blow you up with <laughs> with lots of questions But i think for me one other question i have is what is true satisfaction for you so <laughs> um is it when you exit for a billion dollars or (laughs) is it where you are like solving real problems you know not to say one is better than the other but like everybody has what you know they're literally working towards right so what will give you that satisfaction and that retirement like you mentioned earlier you know right I
1: i think for me i'm not i'm not one who's very motivated by money okay i'm not very motivated by money i'm i'm very motivated by building things, by seeing through, like, my creative ideas. That process of building is something I, I absolutely love. So I'm always building. If I'm not, <laughs> I'm like, like I'm always building or thinking about building. I'm always working on something. I think you need to work on things that you're passionate about, you know. So there's a reason why social gaming is a recurrent theme in my career. Um, you know, there's a reason why social gaming and sports, at this junction is kind of like the intersection I want to work in. Uh, These are things that I, I'm very passionate about. These are things that I I grew up loving. I think when you work on things you're passionate about, you know, it makes it, it makes the journey easier. Um, I think I'm very passionate as well about like making an impact in people's lives. Um, And so, Even if you're getting a bunch of junior engineers who come and work with you and level up and go on to work for bigger companies, you have a satisfaction looking and saying like, oh, wow, like, you know, uh, this person was working with me, now they've moved on to do A, B and C. Um, So, I mean, I do do want to build a billion dollar company. I mean, I feel like, you know, that's just in terms of my own vanities, (laughs) let me put it like that. I, I think... That is something that uh, I aspire to, Uh, but at the same time, just that process of bringing things to life, of having an idea in your head, and then seeing people actually use it, that's the best feeling in the world. I know. There's nothing better than that feeling of like, this was a tiny idea in my head, and now I am actually watching human beings like interact with that thing. Uh, Amazing feeling.
0: Wow, awesome. So just two more questions and we're done, right? Um, The first one would be, I'm curious. So what part of your upbringing, right? As a young child, you know, growing up to becoming an adult and becoming a founder, what part of that life would you say played a role in what you ended up becoming or what you ended up doing? I know, I mean, you loved gaming and then you eventually built gaming startups but would you also say you know like your upbringing prepared you for becoming a founder altogether, starting up a business were your parents supportive because i've met a couple of people a lot of people actually who their parents were you know at some point in time not encouraging what they wanted to do you know and all of that right so would you say you had a very supportive family that prepared you for for this time yeah
1: I think in terms of becoming an entrepreneur, um, you know, I I come from an academic family. Both of my parents, my father's a professor, both of my parents doctors, um, very strong emphasis on education and going to work. (laughs) Like, there was not much of like, (laughs) hey, you know, what do you think about business? Like, there was none of that. So I think in terms of my entrepreneurial journey, the the biggest impact for me was like going to, um, you know, going to do university in the U.S. Uh, the U.S. is an extremely entrepreneurial nation and you are going to school with people who are just doing things. This one is starting a t-shirt line. This one is doing this. This one is doing the American, <laughs> American dream, American dream, American <laughs> dream. Um, And, you know, at the end of my freshman year, I met someone uh, called Mike Camphor. Mike Camphor was the nephew. He was a nephew to Muhammad Ali. Uh, But he was really just a pit bull of an entrepreneur. Um, And we had a really good friendship. He was into real estate. And we, you know, I started doing real estate with him. We would go around Indiana and buy up houses and refurbish the houses and sell them for a higher price. Um, And that was really my introduction to like entrepreneurship. And Mike, I was, I was eighteen then. Mike was nineteen. Wow. Uh, Wow. Yeah. And Mike would just be like, "Dude, like, by the time I'm twenty-one, I'm going to be a millionaire." But and he would literally like. 3 a.m. call me and be like, hey, what's going on? Told me, money don't sleep. Money don't sleep. <laughs> I would go to his room. I would start working on documents for like, like amazing, amazing guy. I think in terms of becoming an entrepreneur, he's probably the person that that's had one of the biggest impacts on me. Like he he was literally the one that lit that, that fire. Um, so I, I'd say my kind of like exposure in in the US um, is kind of what moved me in that direction. There's really nothing from my background that would have pointed to the fact that I would end up, you know, trying to build businesses and startups.
0: Wow, great, great. And then my last question would be, what would you say is your advice to emerging founders, right? Because we have a lot of young people, right? I mean, the rate at which people are building our products is really impressive. People are, you know, just looking out for problems they want to solve, right? So what would you say is your advice for people who are coming into this space, particularly tech for the first time, right, to navigate through the hurdles? Yeah.
1: Right. So I'll I'll say this based on my own experience. I think there are a couple of things um, that founders, like young founders, should be doing. I think one, um, you know, There's this argument of should you work, should you not work, should you work. I feel like there's no one answer to that. I think that working for a startup for a couple of years, like one or two years early in your career, can be very useful. Uh, And maybe not a mature company. Like a company that is, you know, early stage, you know, maybe pre-seed to seed. Um, you get to kind of like just see how the machine works. Uh, you get to see how engineering team is interacting with design, is interacting with customer support, is interacting with co-founders. Uh, you pick up a skill that, you know, that is transferable to like other experiences and stuff like that. So I think an early working experience in a startup can be very useful. Uh, I don't think it's mandatory, but it could be useful. I think the other thing that I always advise young founders to do is build that network. Uh, A lot of times, your startup is really a result of the network you're in. So if you want to raise money, do you have the right network? If you need a key partnership to get your, your solution going, how easy is it for you to get in touch with someone maybe in FMCGs? Or in banking or in the telco industry? Like, can you get into the right rooms to be able to make things happen? Uh, that network is literally, if there's anything you should be investing in early in your career, it's investing and in building that network. Um, I think the more you invest in those things, so you have the right experiences, you have the right networks, when you do start, it makes the journey easier. You know, and, and I'll give a, I'll give a, Kind of an, an 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 analogy of um that was given to me on like I, I was speaking with someone who's built uh yeah. a lot of a lot of companies actually built a unicorn um but he said something that was very interesting. He said startups are like playing a video game. Um he said you could take two approaches in video games. You can, you know, let's say like you're on level one at the video game and you meet a boss that is level 20, it would take you maybe 100 tries at level one to beat a level 20 boss. But if you go around and you grind, you you know fight enemies that are level one, then level two, and you're picking up levels yeah. and you grind all the way to level 30, when you go back to fight the level 20 boss, you kill him the first time. So startups are kind of like that. The founder is at level one, the startup is at level 20. If the founder grinds up to level 30 and comes back to deal with a level 20 problem, he kills it the first time. If you are still at level one and you're attacking a level 20 problem, you're gonna fail many times before you beat that boss. You know, and so I, I, I'd say like, you know, going back, there's no, there's no one size fits all answer. Um, but I think there are things that you can do to make your, your journey as a startup founder much easier.
0: Wow. This has been great. This has been awesome. This has been exciting. Thanks so much, Tommy, for taking our time. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much. I,
1: I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Uh, you know, thanks for having me on here. Sure, uh, sure. Thanks. Awesome time.
0: Thanks. Thanks. Do enjoy your day.